0: Welcome to Presence Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit PresenceOC.org. All right, well, it's good to see everybody this morning. I am thrilled uh, to be here. I, I have never uh, had the opportunity to give a message at Presence although you've probably seen me do a transition uh, a few times before, I feel, um, before I get started, compelled to tell you a little bit about myself and my history as a believer, but um, we don't have that kind of time. So uh, I'm going to skip that part. I'm going to skip that part. (laughs) And if you want to come see me afterwards and come talk to me about the message or anything, please come see me. I would love to see you and I would love to talk to you. But we're going to jump right in because I'm looking at the clock and I've got quite a bit to cover and I want to get started. So, if you have your Bible with you this morning, if you remember to bring it, we're in John chapter 9, verse 1. John chapter 9, verse 1. If you forgot your Bible, but I know you brought your mobile device, I know you have that with you and it's got your favorite Bible reading application on it, open that up and go to John chapter 9. Now, while you're doing that, While you're doing that, uh, although the focus of today's message will be John chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, I want to discuss briefly about what happens in John chapter 8. Because the very first word in John chapter 9, in the translation that I'll be reading from, is afterward. And it begs the following question After what? So I want to address the following questions before we get started. What was Jesus up to in John chapter 8? And where is Jesus and his disciples coming from? So in the beginning of John chapter 8, Jesus is in the temple courts. And a crowd begins to gather. And he sits down and he starts to teach them. Now, some of you may know what happens next because you've read this story many times, but the religious leaders and Pharisees burst through the crowd and they shove this woman who they claim they caught in the middle of an adulterous act into the center of this crowd. Now, we don't know how large this crowd was because the Bible doesn't tell us, but I'm guessing it probably wasn't small. Jesus didn't draw small crowds. So, this woman is standing in the center of this crowd, and she is probably half naked and weeping. Can you imagine the embarrassment that she probably felt? The shame was probably too much to bear. And everyone who had gathered, who had come to see Jesus teach, is no longer looking at him. They're looking at her. She could probably hear whispers. She may be trying to hide her face. The religious leaders and Pharisees who brought her there, this is a trap. They have set a trap for Jesus. And they're now looking at him, directly at him, And they want an answer to a question that they have. Remember, they tell him, the law of Moses tells us that we should pick up stones and stone this woman to death right here, right now. What do you say? John tells us in John chapter eight that Jesus then stands up and he looks at them. (laughs) I love that. He's been sitting the whole time because in the very beginning, it says he sat down to teach them. And when these religious leaders burst in and they shove this woman to the center of the crowd and they're insisting that he answer their question, he's just sitting there calmly. And he stands up and he doesn't say anything and they get angry. John tells us that they kept insisting that he answer their question. So Jesus stood up and he looked at them and he said, let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. There's no one in the room who qualifies but him. He's the only one that can pick up the stone and throw it. Well, you know how the story goes. He doesn't throw the stone. Of course not. And says, instead, he says to her, go and sin no more. Live a sin-free life. Now, I tell you this story. We recap because that event sets in motion a series of events, including the one in John chapter 9. And Jesus afterwards enters into a discussion. Well, it's more like a lecture from Jesus. But he enters into a discussion with these religious leaders and Pharisees. And remember, he tells them that he is the light of the world. That he is not from this world. And ultimately, at the end of John chapter 8, just before the beginning of John chapter 9. In fact, go there real quickly. The end of John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus says to them, I give you this eternal truth. He leaves them with this. I have existed long before Abraham was born, for I Am. Mic drop. The greatest mic drop moment in history happens at the end of John chapter 8 and before the beginning of John chapter 9. That's a mic drop moment. It's powerful. If you don't know what he meant by that, I encourage you, do a Bible study. It's fascinating. But Jesus identifies himself with the I am that I am in Exodus. When God speaks to Moses through the burning bush, and Moses, just before he leaves God's presence, remember God told him to remove his sandals and his feet are in the clay and he can feel the heat coming off that bush. And he says, okay, so I'm gonna go back. I gotta tell him about a burning bush. I'm gonna go back. Well, who do I say who sent me? If I go to them and I say, the God of your forefathers has sent me to rescue you, and they say, what's his name? What do I say? Well, you know what God says. He says, tell them that I am who I am has sent you. I am has sent you. Jesus is identifying with that voice. Well, this was it for the Pharisees and the religious leaders who were there. They had heard enough. And they pick up rocks. And in the beginning, they want to stone a woman who they know has sinned. And now they want to stone Jesus. That was their ultimate purpose, right? This was a trap. It says, when they heard this, John 8 Verse 59, they picked up rocks to stone him, but Jesus concealed himself and he passed through the crowd and went away from there. John chapter nine, afterward. Now we know what's happened. In a footnote, real quickly, before we jump into verse one, John chapter nine, I have here some reliable Greek texts present Jesus' exit in a less than supernatural way. But listen to this. But the Aramaic and many other Greek manuscripts make it clear that it was a supernatural exit from the Jewish leaders who wanted to kill him. Have you ever wondered that? I'm sure you have, because this isn't the first time this has happened. He's been in crowds that have wanted to stone him and kill him before. And it says, he hid himself. He disappeared. Like, how does that happen? The religious leaders and Pharisees are standing there, and all of a sudden, they're like, there he- did you see him? We lost him. I lost him. I don't see him. He's gone. He's done it before. That's amazing. I thought I would share that with you. That's just, oh. That's just our Jesus, right? That's amazing. He's just like, ya. See ya. <laughs> John chapter 9, verse 1. John chapter 9, verse 1. Are you there? Now, the title, the title of today's message, and I wrestled with this for a while, but this is what I came up with. Penny, you think you know what it is, but that's not what it is. (laughs) I told her about two weeks ago, and that's definitely not the title of this message. The title of this message is, It Happened. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, It Happened. Now turn to your other neighbor, wait for it, and say, it happened. It happened is the title of this message. Do you want to know the original title? Come and see me afterwards. (laughs) Uh, Afterward, verse 1, as Jesus walked down the street. Now remember, what just happened? What just happened, right? We just covered it. Jesus has had a long day so far. And verse 1 of John chapter 9, some Bible commentators and scholars suggest that this was moments later. Moments later. He's disappeared from the religious leaders and Pharisees. He's passed through the crowd, and now he's walking down the streets, and his disciples are with him. And it says, as Jesus walked down the street, he noticed a man blind from birth, That verse may seem insignificant to you. You have probably read it many times before. But I promise you, it's not. It's powerful, and here's why. Jesus sees this man. He just had this intense encounter and discussion with individuals who then wanted to kill him. And he moves on and he notices this man. He goes right back to work. Why? Because this man falls within the Messiah's mission. Remember, in Isaiah, let me read it to you. In Isaiah chapter 42, starting in verse 5, it says, Here are the words of the true God, Yahweh, the one who created the starry heavens and stretched them out. He is the one who formed the earth and filled it with life. He gives breath to every person and spirit to everyone everywhere. Verse 6, I, Yahweh, have commissioned you in righteousness to succeed. I will take your hand in love and watch over you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a walking light to the nation. Your mission, if you choose to accept it, (laughs) your mission is to open blind eyes, to set the prisoners free from dark, deep, dwellings and to open prison doors to those who are held by darkness. Your mission, my son, your mission is to open blind eyes. This man fell within the Messiah's mission and he noticed him. This is unlike what happened in Matthew chapter 9 when the two blind men are following after Jesus. This particular man didn't notice him. He couldn't have. He was blind from birth, but Jesus saw him. The two blind men in Matthew 9, do you remember Jesus restores this young girl in this house? He leaves and news spreads quickly. And these two blind men, they hear him passing and they get up and they follow him. And they're pursuing him. I can imagine a crowd all around Jesus vying for his attention. Just to touch him, and the two blind men say, we, we gotta raise our voices, and at the top of their lungs, they say, son of David, show us mercy and heal us. Well, you know how the story ends. Jesus heals them. He told them, you get what your faith expects, and he heals them. But that doesn't happen here. This time, after everything that had happened, Before Jesus had a cup of coffee and breakfast, he was threatened. His life was threatened. And he's walking down the street. His disciples are with him. And he says, wait a minute. That man. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you've been up to. But Jesus sees you. Before you loved him, he noticed you. Before you saw him, he saw you and started moving in your direction. Before you surrendered your life to him, like this man on the street, he saw you. Now, you may be in a place today where you do know him, and you've given your life to him. But maybe, just maybe, you don't pursue him as much as you would like. Your love for him has faded. Your passion for him has dwindled. I have news for you. He sees you. He locked in on this man. And he started to move toward him. He started to pursue him. His eyes were stuck on him. His eyes are stuck on you. He's moving towards you whether you like it or not. No matter where you are. I can't imagine... How many people on this day passed this man and never saw him, never noticed him, refused or failed to acknowledge that he was there? But Jesus said, not today, you're mine. You may think this first verse is insignificant, but I promise you, it is not. It is powerful. In verse 2, his disciples asked him, Teacher, whose sin caused this man's blindness? His own or the sin of his parents? Now, as Jesus notices this man and he's starting to walk toward him, his disciples ask a bizarre question. It's really strange. In, in, instead of And they've seen Jesus perform miracles before, do all kinds of incredible things before this point. And Jesus sets his eyes on this man and he begins to move toward him to perform a miracle and his disciples ask a question rather than, oh yes, here we go, here we go, it's gonna happen again. Get ready, get ready, everybody, get ready. No, 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 they wanna know the answer to a really strange question. Teacher, rabbi, I'm glad you noticed this guy. That reminds us, who sinned? This man or the sin of his parents that caused him to be blind from birth? Now, in asking this question, they assume this fact that someone definitely sinned, and two, that that sin is the reason why this man is suffering from blindness from birth. But they want to know who. Now, some, some, some Bible commentators, some, some scholars suggest that there was a belief during this time among the religious leaders and Pharisees, that someone could sin before they were born. What? They could sin inside their mother's womb. Others believed, no, no, it was probably the parents, maybe the mom or the dad. And the disciples, they want to be on the right side of the debate. And so this is their chance. Let's ask that question. Let's find out why this man is suffering from blindness from birth. And Jesus tells them, neither. Wait, what? (laughs) I'm sorry, could you expound on that a little bit? (laughs) Neither. Yeah, he says neither. Now, of course, he doesn't mean that his parents or this man have ever sinned. We know that all have sinned and fallen short. But he's telling them, listen, this isn't important, and I'll tell you why. It happened to him so that you could watch him experience God's miracle. That's why it happened. Now, the disciples don't come up with a follow-up question. I would have, I would have, again, could you expound on that a little bit more? Because that's awesome. But if you could give me a little bit more, like, I really don't know exactly what that means. And I've seen some suggestions but it's all speculation. I don't really know. But this is what he tells them. Neither. It happened so that you could watch him experience God's miracle. I, um... I don't know where you've been or where you are right now. I have no clue what you're up against. I have no idea what you have gone through or where you are going or going through. But I do know this, that it has happened so that others can watch you experience God's miracle. I do know that for sure. You may be thinking, I am not where I wanna be. I have no idea what step to make next. I don't know whether to turn left or to turn right. I'm still fighting this debt. I'm not in the home that I've always dreamed of being in. I don't have the job that I wish I had, but I do know this. It has happened so that others can watch you experience God's miracle. God will get his glory no matter what, no matter where you are. And you may feel stuck. You may feel like this man, you're in the dark. You cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel. But I do know this. It has happened, and you are here. You may be hurting now. You may be in pain now. You may be crying now, but it has happened so that others can watch God perform a miracle in you. the disciples were the disciples wanted to know who to blame rather than how to help they wanted to know who to point the finger at that was their main concern they wanted to know who to blame rather than how to help I'll try them over here. They wanted to know who to blame rather than how to help. Amen? amen? Now that they know how to do it, the disciples wanted to know who to blame rather than how to help. Amen? There it is. Now we're having church. The disciples wanted to know who to accuse rather than focus on who they were with. That deserved an amen. There it is. The disciples wanted to know who to blame rather than put all of their attention and focus on the one they were with, the creator of the universe, the one who performs miraculous healings, the one who can do anything at any time for anyone. That should have been their focus. Not this theological question, Sometimes you're up against something that feels insurmountable, and you don't know if you're on the right side of the debate. You don't know if you've got the answer to the question. You may be upset, you may be angry, but the answer is not who's to blame, it's who's in me. Who's with me? That's how we tackle those problems. That's what Jesus was trying to tell them. Neither. Listen to me. It's happened to this man. It's terrible. It might be because we live in a fallen world. That's the most obvious suggestion here. We live in a sinful world We're fallen, and unfortunately, this man was born blind. But it's happened so that you can watch what I'm about to do. It's been public all this time so that when he's healed, everyone will know what's happened. Some people suggest that this man was in his 30s. In that he had become, he had been going back to this same spot for years, begging, repeatedly coming back. But on this day, Jesus noticed him, he saw him. Jesus says in verse 4 While I am with you, It is daytime, and we must do the works of God who sent me while the light shines, for there is coming a dark night when no one will be able to work. Verse 5 As long as I am with you, my life is the light that pierces the world's darkness. While we are alive, while it is daytime, we must do the works of God. That is the principle here in this chapter. Now, we talked about some things that you may be up against. And although it has happened, God will do a miracle. But then Jesus is also telling his disciples you've got to get to work. Now is the time. You're alive, and I'm with you. Theological questions and debates are fun, and sometimes they're interesting. But right now, we do his work. We approach every problem, and we say, how can we help? Or we look at someone who's going through something, and we say, let me introduce you to somebody. I know someone who can help. That's our role here. While we're still alive, while we still have breath in our lungs, while our legs still work, we are moving and we are doing His work. Amen? Amen. Yeah. In verse 6, then Jesus, this is where it gets fun. Then Jesus spat on the ground and made some clay with his saliva. It had to have been a lot of saliva. That's where my head goes. When I read that verse, I thought, that's a lot of saliva. Maybe it was hot that day, I don't know. He made some clay with his saliva, then he anointed the blind man's eyes with the clay. And he said to the blind man, now go and wash the clay from your eyes in the ritual pool of Salome. I have no idea why Jesus chose to do this miracle this way. And there are many times in the Gospels when you read about Jesus performing a miracle and it leaves you stumped. He could have done it any way he wanted now he only did what he fa- saw the father doing, so and this is probably, I'm guessing, what the father told him to do. And still, I don't know why, because he could have simply placed his hands on this man's head or over his eyes, or not touched him at all, and said what he has said before to many others. Hundreds of others, we don't know, be healed. Be healed, have sight, see anything. But he chose to create clay with his saliva and anoint this man's eyes, spread it over his eyes. That's wild. This is an interesting point I want to read to you. It's not my thought. No doubt the blind man had heard people spit as they walked by in the past as a sign of disgust. For in that day they believed blindness was caused by a curse. And so people would walk by others who they believed had been cursed. And they would spit in their presence. And this was something that this man heard all the time. People who refused to pay any attention to him. As they walked by him, they would spit at his feet or in his presence. Bizarre, I know. And now Jesus is here and he chooses to spit. It's the last time he'll ever hear anybody do it. Some people suggest that it's symbolic that Jesus created man from the clay and dust of the earth in Genesis and that Jesus is mimicking that here. That he's recreating eyes from the dirt. It's amazing, isn't it? It really is powerful. When you really sit down and you read each verse slowly and carefully and you think about it, about what's happening here, the history behind it, what this person has probably gone through for close to 30 to 35 years, and now today is his moment. Jesus anoints his eyes, and then he tells him to go down to the pool of Siloam, which is called Sent, or the pool of apostleship. Wow. Stands him up. His eyes are covered with clay and mud. And he says, now go down to the pool of Siloam. Wash off that clay. He doesn't go with him. As far as we know. And he doesn't say, Peter, take this man's hand. Walk him down to the pool of Siloam. When he's done, bring him back. No, he just says go. And as far as we know, he goes. I don't know how he knew how to get there. <laughs> Someone has probably led him there before. This wasn't an uncommon place. People knew how to get to this pool. And so just remembering somehow, some way, he found himself down there by the pool and he washed off that clay and he came back seeing. I'm convinced that sometimes, sometimes Jesus starts the miracle in us and then he gives us a command and it's our job to go finish it. He does something in our lives, and then he says, Go down to the pool of Siloam and finish the job. Mm-hmm. And all of your questions will be answered because those who follow his commands come back fulfilled. That was another amen. Yes. <laughs> I put these in my notes. I said, that's a great point. That deserves an amen. <laughs> Those who follow his commands come back fulfilled. They come back seeing. He touches us. He anointes our eyes. And though we may not still have all the answers, he says, now go. Of course, he's with us, he's in our hearts. We hold him in our hearts. But we're walking down to that pool and we may not know exactly how to get there, but we're taking each step. (laughs) Let me paint this picture for you. This man, his eyes and face are covered in clay. Maybe it's a busy day, maybe it's not. This is how I read the Bible. I'm letting you in to how I interpret this stuff, okay? And I hope you do too because it's fascinating because there are missing pieces here that whether you want to or not, you've got to be thinking about, well, what happened? Like, how did he get there? And, and he's walking down to the pool and he might be by himself. Can you imagine what's going on in his head? Thinking, this is my day. This is it. That was probably the man everybody's been talking about. And now he's come for me. He noticed me. And there's something on my face and it's wet. But I'm going to go down to the pool and I'm going to wash it off. And with each he's just saying please let this be the day let this be the day this is different this is unusual no one's ever done this no one's spoken to me for weeks and this man spent considerable time with me and he is stumbling down to that pool in a hurry I imagine maybe running but he knows it's dangerous but he can't wait to find out what happens And when he gets down to that pool and he falls on his knees and that water is hitting his face and he sees the reflection for the first time. And that light hits his eyes and the color is magnificent and he's shielding himself thinking it happened today. What happened? God happened He's thinking, this blindness, it happened to me. And this man just told these people who follow him that it has happened to me so that I can experience God's miracle, and I'm experiencing it right now. This is what happens to us. He starts the miracle in us. And then he says, go down to the pool of Siloam and finish it. Go get it. And you've got to walk, not by sight, but by faith. Because the Bible says what? We walk by faith and not by sight. That's right. Just like this man. He may have come across other people who were saying, what are you doing? Hey, man, you got mud on your face. Where are you going? Don't talk to me. Someone told me, go down to the pool, and I believe him. Don't let anybody get in your way. You listen to his voice. You listen to his command. You stay focused. You keep stepping. You keep moving. You may not be where you want to be today, but he has started the miracle in you, and it has happened so that he can happen. It has happened so that someday, and I promise you if you hang on to it, so that someday all the others who said, What are you doing? Where are you going? You've been at this for so long. Look, let me show you something else. No, 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 no. Jesus told me to go this way, right. and he's anointed my eyes. And when I get there, I will come back seeing. It says, this caused quite a stir among the people of the neighborhood. For they noticed the blind beggar. They see him now. Look at me now. (laughs) I am he. If you haven't read the rest of the story, I encourage you to do so. It's long, and we don't have time to cover it today. But it's fascinating what happens next. How he has to convince people, no, 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 I'm the guy. They noticed him afterward. They may not have noticed him then, but they notice him now. But that's not what it's about. Hear me. That's not the point. The point's not to be noticed. It's to come back seeing. The title of today's message is, It Has Happened. It happened. And I want to encourage you one more time If you're in a place and you're going through something that doesn't make any sense and you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, you've got to understand it's happened. You're here. I don't know why. It may stink. But there will come a day when God will happen, when others will watch you Experience God's miracle. Stay on course. Get to the pool of Siloam. And come back seeing. Amen? Pray with me. Lord, we love you. We bless your name. I really hope that I was talking to somebody in this room today. I really, really do. Touch hearts this morning, Jesus. Remind people that you are with them. That you have anointed them. and that you see them. And there's nothing that they can do to escape your sight. Thank you that you noticed us before we noticed you, that you loved us before we loved you, and you're pursuing us every day. In your name we pray, amen.